holy heaven rain on me again, y'all. This conversation, gosh, I can't believe this is my real life. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. The Holy Spirit manifests themselves through people. Do you understand that? Do you understand that when you listen to podcasts like this, when you listen to speakers like Kevin Mullins, who's not just a speaker, not just a pastor, not just a minister, not just an entrepreneur, not just an author or any of the other labels you want to give him, but a man of God, a child of God, a steward of the sonship, you are going to break chains in your own life that you didn't even know you were bound by because you listened, because you surrendered, because you showed up for your growth and you're eager to hear God's word. God's word is all over this conversation. I don't have anything left to say other than you have got to get connected to Kevin Mullins. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I am so excited for you to listen to this. I'm gonna go listen to this right now. You better do the same. Tag us both so we know that you've listened. Tell us your biggest takeaway, the biggest deposit, the biggest imprint on your heart. It's going to change your life. Let's go. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. Fit is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Oh, that music amps me up every single time. And I am excited and amped for this conversation because you do the same thing when I hear you preach or share or teach or you drop a DM in my Instagram message. I am always like, man, this guy, where did he come from? Y'all, I am excited to introduce you to the one and only Kevin Mullins. Well, girl, it's an honor. It's, 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 it is not only an honor to be here, you know, just watching you not just navigate the social media space, but seeing you, of course, in so many clubhouse rooms and hearing your voice in there, you can get a lot from someone's voice, I think, versus just the visual but what you're doing, of course, with growing, uh, you know, your your business for God conferences right on down to what God's doing in your podcast and stuff. It's an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And we, when we were talking offline, I it's crazy when you feel like you know someone and yet you don't know them at all. I'm like, where do you live? Where are you from? What are you doing? <laughs> but at the same time, feeling that like utter connectivity. And I know that's a God thing uh, when he pushes us towards p- other people in that energy field. And so I'm excited because this conversation is going to not only serve each other, I think, but it's really, really going to serve my community, my community of entrepreneurs and trailblazers and so many pastors and people who have a desire to start missions and missionaries and ministries. And yet we also know that there's a component of marketplace. There's a component of stewardship and finances that come alongside that. So I love that you um, have been cultivating kingdom millionaires and we want all the juice and the insides on how to do that. 
you know, you're talking my language. Uh, literally <laughs> every book I've written really has been along the lines of marketplace ministry, uh, especially as it relates to helping believers, I think, break down the barriers and limitations of that sort of poverty and scarcity mindset, helping them understand that, you know, that that, that, that abundance is advantageous to the kingdom of God, that you know, I always say Satan doesn't feel fear someone that's just, you know, born again, but he fears someone that has the resources to actually birth those God dreams to fund crusades and build schools and take over so many of the cultural mountains. I think churches, you know, sometime in the last 100 years just sort of let go of. And so I've always said it like this, Tamara, I believe that biblically, especially if we're talking biblically, that our 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 responsibility on earth is biblically undeniable. And what I mean by that is that I don't believe God just empowers us or influences us just to sit in a church somewhere trying to influence those that are already living a surrendered life. But ultimately, it's understanding that that great commission, right, is to go into Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. So if he sent us into the world, when you go look at that word world, the world really translated as simple. It just means world systems. And that's what you're doing in business. That's what we do. That's what I do in business. You know, I always just believe that business for me is just an extension of ministry. And ultimately, I think when God can trust us with larger platforms, you mentioned that word steward. Well, he can see that we're stewarding our current resources, managing our current resources, right on down to managing hardship and crisis and adversity. I think then God can trust us with higher levels of influence and bigger platforms. And I think it's when we reach those platforms that we can really be a megaphone on the behalf of advancing the kingdom. So good. And I think a lot of times people inhibit themselves because they think of like just good enough. Right. And I think that that's a church mentality of like, I have enough. I've gotten enough provision that I have what I need and that's good enough. But I really believe that the desires of the people's hearts and why um, even entertainment and arts industries and the culture is so attuned to fortune and fame. It has nothing to do with the selfish desires, though that's how it's um, manifested itself, but more so that God has put that desire in our hearts so that we actually uh, draw near to him. We draw near to his ability and his overflow of fortune and his fame in our lives. And yet it's been it's been pulled and detracted that if you have money or if you have fortune or if you have fame and it's not glorifying God, that it is a negative thing and it should always glorify God. But the people are utilizing and manipulating it as uh, conjuring it up as money is the root of all evil, right? And that that verse, that's not actually a verse that people just say is a verse because they have pulled it out of context, right? Talk to us through, like, how can we break that ministry mentality, that money mentality? <laughs> you know, first of all, I mean, Jesus talked about money more than 2,000 times. He talked about faith and prayer less than 500 times. I mean, so if you start looking even in the New Testament, I mean, Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject. And so all through the passages of the scripture, right, it's crazy because, Thamer, think about, think about this. Every divine instruction, right, I always say that every kingdom reward we're seeking is on the other side of an obeyed instruction. Every single reward, I don't care if we're quoting Joshua 1, if we're quoting Deuteronomy 28, Jeremiah 29, 11, whatever instruction or decree or mandate that you're quoting, none of those instructions have poverty attached to them as a reward for obedience, It's always increase. Uh, Sometimes the word lavish is mentioned, extravagance, prosperity. So I always say it like this. I serve El Shaddai. 
El Shaddai means the God of more than enough. Let me tell you something, Tamara. I don't serve El Chipo. I mean, I don't serve <laughs> El Chipo, man. There's nothing in the kingdom of God that even references lesser than or just enough. Quite frankly, the things that we place value on, things like gold and diamonds and rubies and pearls, I mean, the streets are paved out of that in God's economy. So obviously, wealth should not be something strange to the to, to the believer and it's crazy because when I meet people that are stuck, especially as it relates to their finances, as I begin to peel back the layers, one of the things I figure out is that most times they're being held hostage to a previous instruction, an instruction maybe by a pastor that said money was bad or a mom and a dad that you know never had anything. And so somewhere they infected their children into the idea that it was just wrong to have stuff, maybe because it never showed up in their life. And so I have a saying that I say, and I believe it like this, and I think it would just sort of end the conversation on the ideology or theology on whether God wants us to be wealthy and rich. So I've always said it like this, Tamara, if money were evil, Satan would have doubled your income a long time ago. <laughs> that's so good. That's so true. I mean, if that's a, listen, if that's all it took to give me the hell, if it only took money to make us all evil and greedy, <laughs> Well, man, Satan would be busy 24-7 trying to shovel you more money. Guess what the one thing he wants to do? He wants to keep you restricted yeah. in the level of resource because resource allows us, you know, think about the New Testament. I mean, it was women billionaires. Joanna, which was the businesswoman and wealth strategist for, for Herod, it was women like Susanna and Joanna. They literally funded the entire campaign of Jesus. Even in the Bible, the Bible said Jesus kept his money in a money box. Tamara, you don't need a money box if you don't have money. That's so true. You know, <laughs> so I think it once again, it would behoove all of us to just go back through the Bible and talk about it. If the, if the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich, obviously his riches are different because they add no sorrow. And you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, the the, the idea of money, the, the you know, being the root of all evil. We know that's not Bible, but we, we quote sometimes that money answers all things. And I mm. think sometimes it would, it would help us to understand that, you know, the, the attack on money sometimes is, well, you, 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 you're not going to use it in eternity, right? But there's the missing point. Money answers all things. Well, guess what? You don't need things in heaven, Tamara. The key is not money. The key is things. So what are things? Education, scholarships, news uh, channels, podcasts. I, I've made movies in Hollywood. I do music videos apart from owning businesses and preaching. So guess what it takes to do that? Money answers all things. Things are the things here on this side of eternity where we're commanded according to the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we influence the earth? By holding space in those cultural mountains. And in those cultural mountains, whether it's entertainment, arts, banking, education, whatever it may be, it's going to take resources in order to make a true impact. Mm, it's so good. And it's so freeing, right? I think that's where a lot of times there's bondage in a lot of conversations around resources, energy being one of them, time being one of them, like people use them as excuses or limiting beliefs to they can't do the more than enough, they can't operate out of overflow because of this restriction. And I have found in this second half of my life, since I had my quarter life crisis, <laughs> that God has literally restored every element of resource that I thought I never had enough of. And he 
pours out and through me as a conduit towards his ultimate energy source. People think I'm bananas on the speed in which I show up to life and the abundance in which I show up to life and the joy that floods out of me. And I haven't always had that story. And so I always want people to understand that the overflow operates when I am surrendered to the resources and blessings that he has gifted me, that we have access to, and it not being what controls me or what determines my action. You don't have the resources, you don't have enough energy, and therefore you don't act. And this morning I had this revelation as I was sharing live on Instagram, and I was in um, the sanctification conversation uh, in Thessalonians, and it was so interesting. What came to me was that everyone talks about affirmations, right? I am more than enough. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I am wealthy. I am prosperous. And they say, if you say this more often, eventually you'll manifest it and become it. And yet at the same time, simply acting off of affirmations, uh, you're actually losing the opportunity to move, right? And so our affirmations have to match our actions. If we just sit on affirmation alone and we don't act out through those affirmations, then your resources can't become plentiful. What do you think about um, that? I completely agree. I love that thought, right? Affirmations need action. I, 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 I sometimes say it like this, that I meet a lot of you know spirit-filled people that are asking God to move the mountain, but they're unwilling to pick up the shovel and help. And so when you look even through scripture, right, the application of something is what is what God blesses. He said he would bless the work of our hands. You know, go back even to the very beginning with Genesis, right? Everything was 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 predicated on work. Work was never a bad thing. Work was worship. You know, think about it. Even the Bible says that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Well, Tamara, the key word there is follow. <laughs> if you want goodness and mercy to follow you, guess what? You better be you moving. Gotta be moving. <laughs> yeah, you got to so be, be doing something. So we, we know that even in just natural laws, right? I mean, the Bible says if a man don't work, he don't even eat. So there's if there's if there's no harvest, then that probably means there's no seed. And even the harvesting effect of the things that we believe were promised by divine promises to receive, that requires effort from you. And so I, I think that's that's a huge piece that you were talking about this morning in the room that you were in, because too many times it becomes very easy to fall into the to, to the concept, right, of just decreeing a thing, just declaring a thing. And I believe God can supernaturally fill our bank account, but this is not how God works. You know, in the Bible, if, 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 if God wanted to give you wealth, he would give you a problem to solve or give you an idea. So if I'm praying, say, for a million dollars, I may look at that tree out there and God gives me an idea that that's a chair. I may look at that tree out there and he says, man, there's a baseball bat in that tree. If I go make baseball bats, guess what? <laughs> there's where the money is. This is how God operates. That's why we know, you know, I love the way the message translation says that, you know, faith without works, but message translation talks about God talk without God works is nonsense. And I think that's the area sometimes for a lot of us. I mean, a lot of people that are in that vein of just declaring a thing, but never actually getting off their couch, you know? So it's one thing to, it's one thing to pray, you know, for God to give you a harvest, but you have to be honest and say, man, am I sowing seed? Am I actually putting in the work? Because in order for God to bless the work of my hands, there has to be a work that's done. Let me share this with you and I'll, I'll let you ask your next question and move on to the next topic. I had a mentor one time, Tamara, 
a very successful person that really introduced me uh, to network marketing when I first got started on my, my, my sort of wealth strategy as it relates to leverage and increase uh, back in 2000, like seven and eight. And I'll never forget um, being in ministry. I was at a uh, just a mentoring session with him. And he said, you know, Kevin, he said, there's things God can't do. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not my Bible. <laughs> you know, I was ready to fight. <laughs> I was ready to argue, man. I, you know, I was a debater back then. I wanted to argue with everybody. And um, he said, there's things God can't do. And I said, man, you tell me what God can't do. He said, Kevin, God will not answer a prayer. You won't pray and he won't bless the work you won't do. Wow. So good. So good. And it's so true. And I was having this conversation just the other day with this incredible man of God who who is a previous Navy SEAL and he has this really huge passion for just helping um, people who are veterans step out into their full identity after they've been wounded or not necessarily physically wounded always, but emotionally wounded. You you have that that sense of strife. And I think this happens a lot of people, whether you're a veteran and have military reference or not. Um, I had a loss of identity when I got married. I had a loss of identity when I went to college and I was the little fish in a huge pond and no one knew my name, right? Anyone who struggles with an identity issue, we're sitting there and he said, I cannot stand when people are all talk and no game and they don't get off the couch when someone's just sitting there and they're like, I'm obese or I can't do this thing. And they're, they're utilizing all of these crutches and he's sitting there and he's talking to me for a good hour about his vision, about his dream, about his business. And I'm just grinning ear to ear. Right. And at the end, I'm like, well, what's your holdup? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm here talking to you. Like I'm moving this ball forward. And I said, "Mm." I said, I think you're on a, a figurative couch. And he just kind of his eyes got huge. He got a little teary eyed. His his ego might have hurt a little bit for a moment. And I said, you've been sitting on this massive idea. You've been sitting on this dream and you're not moving the ball forward at all. From what I understand, you're just going around talking about it. And sure as any get out, I have since about two weeks later got in my inbox. Hey, will you look over my website? Hey, will you check this out? And that is what I'm about. Not inspiration, not motivation. Mm -hmm. I want activation. I am going to push you out the plane. I'm going to get you off the couch. And if you're not comfortable, that's exactly where I want you. You know, uh, even when you look to the scripture, Tamara, laziness is very demonic. It's, um, it's, 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 It's a victim mentality at the highest. It's an entitlement mindset that seeks to require something with no effort. And even, you know, when you look to even the people God called, God never called anyone that was lazy. Never. I mean, when he called Elisha, he was plowing 12 yoke of oxen. You know? Yeah. David's in the field. Yeah, there's so much. That's so true. I've never heard this before. You know, Peter and those guys, I mean, they were they were fishing. Yeah, it's so good. They were busy. When he called, uh, you, you know, when you think about even those through the Bible that dealt, you talk about, you know, the identity issues and stuff. When you talk about, you know, uh, Amos being a farmer, Amos wasn't looking to be a prophet. I mean, he was out actually farming. You know, when when David was finally recognized to be a king by a prophet of God, I mean, he was out tending to herds of sheep. You know, so when you start look really looking through the Bible, you recognize that uh, Gideon, think about that. Gideon was down in the wine press when God found him. 
And so it would behoove all of us to do what you just said, right? To get off that figurative couch and to, I think, and I, you know, I think it goes further than that too, because people that typically are procrastinators, people that typically are lazy, um, one, obviously don't understand the, the instruction the, that it takes in order to inherit the goodness of God as it relates to benefits. And I'm not talking about salvation. You can do anything for salvation. But God's not going to move you into an area of increase if you haven't been faithful with the season that you've currently got. And that means measuring and multiplying what you have. And so you think about that, even on instructions, the Bible says that poverty comes to a man that refuseth instruction. And in another place, it talks about a man that is lazy in his work is the enemy to his brother. And so I think that's a, that's a, that's a larger scope. But I think it also goes hand in hand with that sort of complaining mindset. Because people that typically are lazy are also people that complain about the government, complain about their family, you know, the local economy, how unfair life is. And complaining not only weakens faith, but it continues to anchor and solidify the fact that your relationship with God is based on the world, not in the word. Because when you start whining and complaining, you continue to elevate or escalate the area of laziness in your life. And that's where... I think we have to be careful because people that live with sort of that mindset fail to recognize that our life, at least here on earth, is the reputation of the king we serve. And so here's how it's said in the scripture. There's a scripture that says that we should proclaim, Tamara, his excellencies, which brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. That very word proclaim is rarely preached about, but the word proclaim there means to advertise. And that's where me and you, we have to do an inventory of our life and we got to say, man, when people encounter me, man, are they encountering the best of heaven? Does my presence upgrade the atmosphere? Am I a type of person, like you said, that is all talk, you know, no action? You know, the type of person that just is constantly telling the world and posting it on social media. I mean, anybody can post, right? I think we've moved into an arena as God begins to accelerate things in this marketplace revival that we got to move beyond you know, people that have a, you know, uh, you know, a getting it, you know, a, a get things done list into getting things done mentality, because for far too long, we've set on ideas without, without ever birthing them into action. But I believe people like yourself, Tamers, living proof. And, the, and, the, and of course, the people that you're connected with all of the conferences, the podcast, the message that you're constantly preaching. I think what it does is it raises the standard of living so that one of two things happen. You, you either offend people uh, that have sort of, you know, that welfare mentality that's yeah. just expecting the goodness of God. But, but the opposite of all is also true, which is I believe that your testimony then begins to bring people up to a new level of responsibility, accountability, and ownership where they recognize, Lord, you didn't just put me here to live and die, but you've placed me here to absolutely squeeze every ounce out of all the gifts and talents you've placed inside of me. And if I'm ever going to bring about and birth the seeds of greatness into my divine diamond destiny, I'm not only going to have to withstand some pressure, but I got to keep pressing through. Remember, though I walk through the valley, that means you got to be constantly moving forward. And in the moving forward, God rewards us with more things. Oh my gosh, I could let you talk all day. I don't need to say a word. This is so good and so true. And so um, it's so counterculture, which is hard for people. Like, I feel like it's, you hear iron sharpening iron when it comes to the truth, but I feel like this might feel like sandpaper to those that aren't willing to actually be sharpened. 
right? That's that sense of offense, that spirit of offense that people can hold. Oh, he's not talking to me, right? There's no ownership in that. I want to pivot the conversation into something you mentioned twice, actually, and I know what it is, but I'm not sure that all my listeners do, is this concept of um, the seven mountain mantle, right? Or the seven mountains of influence that exist. And you mentioned entertainments and arts and business and banking and education. Um, I'm going to miss a couple. Help me out here. Uh, politics is uh, one, okay. right? Yeah. And um, I think family. And family. Okay. And so there was this amazing pastor who who travels around and, and teaches, and his name is Chris Mitchell. And he was talking to me the other day when I was at dinner with him or breakfast. And I said, um, you know, I feel like I need to be heightened. And I don't know what that means. And I don't know who else to like put in my circle to, to bring me to that next level and to sharpen me in that way. Even though I'm around incredible pastors and, and business leaders and all of that, there was just something missing. And he brought this idea um, to mind and this, this concept to mind. And he said, you know, a lot of people who you're standing alongside, they're trying to go up these mountains of influence. They're trying to stand on the top of the entertainment industry from a Christian lens. Not bad things. They're doing good things. Yeah. It looks um, well from the outside and the fruit that is bared on their life is gorgeous and, and, and delicious. However, they're, they're not allowing the ascension to happen from God and God to actually pluck you up and put you from his eighth mountain, the perspective over top of all of those mountains, and also stewarding all of our gifts and talents. I love so much this about you that you are not in one lane. And people will say, stay in your lane, pick your niche. Who's your customer avatar? Like all the business lingo that I literally kick in the face because I can't stand it. I'm like, don't pigeonhole me or my God. I am more than. And yet it also creates some confusion. Are you a pastor? Mm -hmm. Are you a business leader? Mm -hmm. Are you a coach? Are you a producer? Like, what are you? Who are you? Talk to me through like your evolution in that because it is so freeing to me when I get to sit and have this conversation with people like yourself. Uh, I, I love I love what you just said. I mean, you know, I, and you know, and I, I think you're right. The first part of what you were talking about, you know, Isaiah two really drives on the point that we're supposed to be on top of that mountain, and it talks about people coming to us to learn, right? That, that, and and I think there's a difference between forcing your way to something and losing your conviction along the way, um, or being a person that maybe is just. Um, a direct voice. You know, you think about presidents that get consulted by say certain ministries that they approve or how Daniel consulted, you know, three different regimes and governments and then two of them was persecuted for doing so. Um, so I think there's multiple ways to, to influence. And, and those are the things I think that we have to be mindful of as we're pursuing part of what we would like to see happen. And the other part is fulfilling once again, sort of that, that kingdom assignment on earth that we've been assigned to when it comes to, you know, being able to stay in your lane, I I always say nothing should be off limits to the body of Christ. And so I think if your ultimate goal is, 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 is to be somewhat significant, not just successful, but significant, meaning adding values to others, I think in order to be a light in a very dark place, right, a city that's set on a hill, salt and and light, right, Uh, or as the message translation would talk about, you know, bringing out the God flavors of the world, bringing out the God colors of the world. In order to do that, you've got to navigate many arenas. So when people ask me, 
someday they'll see me, you know, it's, I've, I've conducted business in more than 70 countries or spoke. Right. And, and so whether they see me on a network marketing platform or preaching on a Sunday morning, or maybe I'm talking about one of my books, or maybe they see me on set um, with many movies we've had that's went to the theaters or I myself have acted many times, uh, whether it be music videos or in movies. So fun. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. That's awesome. I know. I don't know that there is a word for that other than sometimes in the world, I just say, listen, man, I'm, you know, I'm a kingdom entrepreneur, but I think really, ma'am, just a kingdom ambassador or a servant of Christ, because I think even when you look to Christ, although he might've wore the role as Messiah, he himself went through many different seasons of his life. And even in the marketplace, which is where he spent all of his time out of 132 public appearances of Jesus, 122 of those were in what we call the marketplace. So he was rarely ever reported in a church or a synagogue. So when you even look to his ministry, there was times he was in front of a woman that was caught in adultery. There were other times he was caught with tax collectors. Uh, you know, there was other times he was with fishermen. So how, how do you have a how do you have impact in those spaces if you don't figure out a way to be impactful in those spaces? And for me, I didn't necessarily seek out, hey, how can I go make a movie? I've always just been kingdom advancement minded. And so it, it, it became very evident to me early on that instead of restricting the flow of God or the oil upon my life, what I should be more mindful of is that in the spaces in which God has allowed me to travel or to navigate, may I be conscious and completely aware of connections, potential collaborations or ideas that he would allow me to have some sort of impact in those areas. I'm not going to be Steven Spielberg, obviously, but if I can find my, my lane within that industry and mentor and pray with many people that are in those spaces who probably at one point were in church um, or if it's, if it's in the business world and then even in the church world, I'm not necessarily traditional church. And so, you know, I'm, I too like you, I don't want to be fit into one particular category because I believe everything I do, I don't have to turn it on or turn it off based on the atmosphere I'm in because I wear the same anointing everywhere I go. Much like, you know, a person that has strong cologne on, it introduces them before you ever hear their name, right? That's the way the presence of God should be in our life. There should be a fragrance that permeates from my life that introduces me before I ever have to tell people who I am. And I believe the anointing of that on your life, and that's true for you, Tamara, is I think it not only puts us in doors we couldn't have opened on our own, but I think it brings people into our relationship or into our circles that are seeking for something that's genuine, that's authentic, that ultimately can help them find their place in life. And we both know that to be Christ. But at the end of the day, I don't want there to be any mountain ever off limits to me. And if I'm in a space I don't understand the protocol of or I'm not qualified, I, I, I believe that God will close that door for me so that I don't risk misrepresenting the thing that I'm there to represent. Mm, I love that final piece. I think that's really critical because I feel often I'm like, this is an interesting opportunity. And, you know, people set vision boards or they have their goal list or they have what their current state of being or heart's desire is. 
But I believe in that concept of always becoming. I believe in that concept of evolution. I believe that God is going to continue to reveal to him, to me himself. And he is magnificent. He is multifaceted. His character is grandiose. And there's so many different conversations. That's why people call him father or provider or all these different names because he shows up in these different realms. And from a, a, someone who was a previous pastor, you said for 18 years you pastored and then being in this entrepreneur entrepreneurial ministry perspective or marketplace concept, there's a lot of people that straddle that line. They're like feet are on two mountains or three mountains or whatever it is. And they feel um, they feel like the world is calling them to stand in one identity. And I've encouraged my coaching clients that you don't have to just wear the one hat. I love that you said it's like a fragrance, fragrance, because it doesn't matter where you are. It is scented. I, I see it as light. If the door is closed and I'm standing outside, there's light shining through and people are curious what's going on out there. And I want to be that light. I want to be that joy. And so it allows me to visually see and smell and hear and taste. But what happens to the person who is is literally taking their identity and they're taking off the hat to walk into the house? They're taking off the hat and putting on the other thing to be the parent. They're taking off the hat and putting on the other hat to go into the work setting. I think it's really important for us to realize that our identity is in unison at all times because you can't wipe a scent off no matter how far you try. And I can tell you this from the devil's side of the story and from the Jesus side of the story. I still find it wild to say out loud that I'm a two-time best-selling author and have three published books and more to come in the next year. Feel surreal and yet exactly where I thought I'd be. When I started this podcasting journey, Fit and Faith was a way to share my story, but I knew it had to be documented differently. In the process of my writing the entire story, I shared just one aspect in a women's devotional book called She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith. I talked about my shame story. And the testimonies that came from that one chapter was the affirmation I needed to keep pursuing the whole story. The bear all book that released last fall called Always Becoming, Sex, Shame, and Love. Gracie, I know. And not what you think you'd probably hear on a Christian podcast, but y'all, we have to start talking about the real things, the real conversations. It's no different than this podcast where we talk about the real things. It's the deep stuff. It's the true stuff that matters. And while talking about business is awesome and what I show up to do on a daily as a kingdom entrepreneur and business coach, it's only a fraction of the story. My second bestseller was released right after this personal development book as a business resource. It's called The Female Entrepreneur's Playbook and features 20 plus women gifting you their blueprints. All three of these books make up the most perfect bundle for the fellow female faith-driven world changer. That's you, I bet. So you can go to my site right now and get signed copies of all three. TamaraAndress.com. Yes, make sure you spell Tamara right. T-A-M-R-A. It's boring and exciting all at the same time because I stand out. TamaraAndress.com. Click on the book and get yours today. Three, all in one bundle. It's going to change your life because, well, it is mine. So let's be world changers together. So help me out here, brother. Help them out. How how do they stand in the, the confidence of all of that anointing and not feel or appear or think that they're detracting from somebody else's greatness at the same time? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think, you know, many of the 
titles right to get placed on us if we're not careful we we we, we wear them maybe uh to a point of loyalty that's beyond probably what we are maybe most skilled at I'll give you an idea right i mean it's almost like if you were ever someone's little league baseball coach one time you know they see you the rest of your life i mean you're 30 and they're 60 and you see them in the grocery store you call them coach yeah and um and that's not their fault right but but these these i think a lot of these identities or badges if you will kind of get placed upon us right i think if someone like to say a bishop td jakes obviously a bishop in, in a world voice but at the same time an incredibly award-winning movie producer and a leadership expert who has some of the biggest leadership conferences on planet earth right and so i i, I think there's maybe he's 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 recognized I can be Bishop T.D. Jakes, but within the framework of Bishop T.D. Jakes is movie producer, is best selling you know author. I mean, you're doing those things, Tamara. And so I think the restrictions come when we once again narrow down what we think that title represents. You know, when I was a pastor, I also was uh, a business owner. And um, so I had I had part of my mind operated from a business perspective. And the other part of me, of course, was full time pastor. And I don't know that I had to necessarily worry about wearing both of the hats. But I think sometimes even as it relates to stuff like finances, you know, in the early days of my ministry, I was really good at teaching people how to give. I think every pastor knows that message very well. But I didn't know how to teach anybody how to get. That's where the business side of me had to come in. I had to finally go, wait a minute, there's all these instructions on wealth and the ability to get and create wealth. And above all things, I would that you would prosper and be in good health. Like at the end of the day, there was a time where I thought maybe schools would teach that or, you know, you'd learn that maybe in a curriculum or an online course. And then I recognized that what we call ministry um, I may be maybe more skilled in a particular area, but I think if we're, uh, you know, the embodiment of Christ, right? If we're joint heirs with him, then that means that whatever uh, area of Christ operated in another uh, dimension of time or another uh, um, uh, church age, whatever you want to talk about as, as it comes to, say, the evolution of the church, then whatever he done in those ages, he can obviously do those things in me. And I think that's the identity crisis. The identity crisis is when you have identity issues, you have inventory issues. When you have identity issues, you have... Uh, you have dominion issues. And so I think that's Satan's greatest attack is to put us in a particular place where you think I'm only supposed to wear that hat. I think one of the good recognitions of that is David, right? You see David, I mean, wearing this wearing this hat of shepherd boy, uh, you know, but at the same time, he, God had already camouflaged a higher destiny in his life. His own brothers had no idea who he was to the point that they disrespected him. His own father didn't even invite him to the initial ceremony when the prophet of God was looking for somebody to anoint to be king. His own daddy. <laughs> you know, so then he goes from that to being an errand boy for his dad, taking bread to his brothers. Then he goes from that to being a skilled musician. Which, by the way, as much as we talk about David being king, this is where arts come in. It was actually him being a, being a musician that first got him into, uh, you know, the kingdom. So when he first got introduced into that particular area of government and protocol, he was a musician. It was there that he learned the government of, of what it was to be a king. And through that, of course, he then became king. All of those things, in my opinion, make up the totality of who King David is, because King David is still a musician. He's still a shepherd, maybe on a different level, 
but he's all of those things. And Jesus is still a carpenter. He was still a carpenter. It's just that when he, when he, when, when the evolution went from, you know, carpenter to, you know, being, you know, Emmanuel God on earth, you know, revealing the secrets of hearts and healing and all this other stuff. You can see that when he commissioned people into their ministries, that much like Paul, Paul was an orator. Paul was a, a, an academic. Uh, Paul also knew about boat making and also knew about tent making. He was all of those things. And the area of Paul we put our our, our confidence in is the title apostle. But at the end of the day, within that was many layers of who he was. And so I think that's true. What you said is that we come in the house and yeah, maybe I'm a father there, but I should never take off the anointing that is upon my life. And that's the thing I think I want ministers to realize is you can be, you know, a kingdom millionaire, a billionaire and still be a pastor, whether you create that through books and businesses or whatever it may be. And ultimately, I think ministers especially have to recognize that you become sort of the first uh, wheat shaft also of, of the harvest that's coming, which means I must model the behaviors that I'm expecting from my people. If I'm preaching tithe and I don't tithe, or if I'm preaching, you know, a God of abundance and I can't pay my bills and I'm living check to check and I can't steward my own finances, that's going to ultimately, uh, you know, spill over into the group I'm leading. So we must also become the type of person that says, I'm not just going to preach about abundance or prosperity or inner peace. Doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but I'm going to seek to live these things to the highest of level so that my life becomes a living witness of the things I'm ministering about so that my actions can become, become the benchmark and standard of who I am and not just the things I preach on Sunday morning. We, if I had a white handkerchief, I'd be flying it right now. <laughs> so good. So anointed. Uh, do you think everyone is made or meant to be an entrepreneur? Do you think, I mean, obviously they shouldn't stand in bondage in their job or their one thing that they do, but I just feel like that breastplate has become their tag. It's become their business card. It's become the thing that they put on every day and they're miserable. And it, it makes me so sad. I have such an empathetic lens towards it. Man, you know, so so I think here's here's the answer, right? It, will everybody? No. Should everybody? Yes. You know, when you go back to the book of Genesis, the very first kingdom mandate we have is obviously be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue. Then over in Genesis 9, it's a similar mandate. And I love the message translation of that. It says that we're here. It literally says you are here too. Genesis 9, I think 6 and 7. It, the, the language actually says, you are here too. And it says, bear fruit, which by the way, for anybody that doesn't understand being an entrepreneur, how valuable that is to you, even serving God here, at least in the earthly realm. John 15 says, if you want to bring glory to the Father, you must bear much fruit, which means if I seek to even honor the Lord, how do I do it, Lord? John 15 says, not just bear a little bit of fruit, Tamar, but bear much fruit, which means God's expecting you to be highly productive in the things that he's deposited into your life. So it says bear fruit, reproduce. Watch these last two words, lavish life on earth and then live bountifully. Well, nothing about lavish and bountiful is trading time for dollars. Because from a biblical perspective, right? Um, we know that the Bible says every seed brings forth of its own kind. So I'm looking at the first kingdom mandate, be fruitful, multiply. 
That means that I've got to have an idea, multiply that idea, and then replenish, which means figure out a way to distribute my idea to the world. That's what the original kingdom mandate is. That means in order to do that, you've got to be in business, some kind of business. And I'm not against being an employee, but what I am saying is that when you're an employee, you are literally surrendering your entire life to the dollar amount in which you agree upon. That means that I take my God-given talents, my God-given skills, I rent them to a CEO based on the amount they're willing to pay me. And whatever amount that is, which 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 isn't residual in nature, by the way, it means it's time-based, it's a transaction attached. I work, I get paid, I don't work, I don't get paid. Whatever they design to pay me based on my skill, my entire life evolves around that, where I live, uh, the communities I live in, where my kids go to school, uh, whether they're in karate, you know, or 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 summer baseball, right. uh, if we vacation, um, how long we stay on vacation, right? So the quality of my life is predetermined by the amount I'm I'm owed with what mo- most will call hourly wage or, or or salary. So you have to just do some simple math and say, listen, you know, if I, I can either own the field. Or I can I can work the field. If I work the field, I get a wage, right? On the field, I get profits. And so even when you hop over into the New Testament, remember, Tamara, in Luke 19, for anyone that says, I'm not a business owner, I can't be a business owner. I don't care if it's a small side hustle on top of teaching where you're selling scented cinnamon toothpicks to fourth graders or whether you're network marketing, right? Just right, right. Leverage. Luke 19, the question is really given by the Lord. What am I supposed to do until you return? And for anyone that doesn't understand that being an entrepreneur is also spiritual in nature, the Bible actually says engage until I come, which means occupy till I come, which means engage in business till I come. One translation says trade money until I come. Another translation says invest money until I come. So what are we supposed to be doing until the Lord comes back? not just sitting in a cubicle somewhere impacting no one. If you're called to be salt like city on a hill, you know how you do that? You start by going out and creating a bigger impact and a bigger impact is not just working the field, but owning the field. And I want you to think about this and I'll bring this thought to a close. One of the greatest wealth strategies, uh, and it deals along with servant leadership and a way to impact through some form of leverage is given by the apostle Paul in first Corinthians 10. And here's what he says. He says, This is the Apostle Paul teaching the world how to get wealthy. Here's the wealth strategy lesson. Let no man seek his own, but let every man seek another's wealth. Now, Tamara, the first time I read that, it didn't sound biblical to me at all. I thought, man, this is like this is like coveting your neighbor's riches. I don't understand what you're saying, Apostle Paul. It it could be better said like this. Let no man seek their own wealth, but let every man seek another's wealth. Or maybe for us self-development gurus, Zig Ziglar would say it like this, help others get what they want. You'll get what you want. You can't do that at a job, Tamara. Yeah. You can't be sitting at a job going, you know what, Lord, I sure hope that Carolyn passes me up and gets the job ahead of me, Lord. (laughs) No, man, it's a competitive market strategy. Why? I I can't want other people to succeed if I'm working for someone. I got to be doing all I can do to figure out how to get the next you know, position or get the next raise. In the world of being an entrepreneur, everything is based in, at least it, as, as far as I can see, on kingdom principles. Because in the business arena, it, even those that we think aren't Christians, the wealthiest of the wealthy have figured out the laws of generosity. 
They have figured out the laws of compassion and empathy. They have figured out the more they give away, the more they get back. I always say that God's shovel is bigger than mine. The more I shovel out, the more he shovels back in. You can't do that a job. Now, I don't have anything against a job, nothing against a nine to five. If you think you can't do it, then you're right. But for those of you that are watching this podcast, I want to encourage you and maybe I could speak a word into your life that will help you come up a little bit higher and to recognize God is built and designed you to get and create wealth. It's difficult to create wealth working $15 an hour. That's difficult. Take you forever to do it. But you can condense and accelerate the process by finding some type of business, by finding what you're passionate about, by recognizing that if you're here on earth, God has placed a solution in you that only you can solve for the problem you've been assigned to. And when you solve problems, wealth shows up. What are we supposed to do before the Lord gets back, Tamara? Occupy till he comes, which means engage in business. My gracious. I like my mind is spinning a thousand miles a minute while trying to endure and hear every next word. I'm thinking about the fact that one from the unique calling component, a lot of people think like, oh, it's already been done, right? And to know that that's simply not true, you're just lying to yourself or the enemy is lying to you, is this understand that you have a unique anointing with all of the gifts and talents, not just the one gift and talent, all the gifts and talents and learning to tap into them. And as I have grown in to my entrepreneurship journey, into my journey as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, all these other places that I occupy as well, I have realized that there are things that I haven't tapped into that I used to touch every single day as a child. I started dancing on stage a couple of weeks ago and I was like, what is happening, God? I had a microphone in my hand. I didn't know what was going on, but the Holy Spirit took over. Yes. And I realized the amount of breakthrough conversations and testimonies that came out of that. I have people who have gone to start going to dance class again and they're feeling so filled and full of the Holy Spirit in those moments because of something I unlocked. And so I always account even entrepreneurship and every component of that, make more to give more, but also do and for them so that they it can be done unto you that yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. All of these concepts go hand in hand is to understand that if I don't, and this will circle back to the beginning of the conversation, if I decide to stay on the couch figuratively or literally, and both are both are bad, both are lazy, both are um, sloth like. Right. Um, there's no movement in that and no, no blessing in that is the recognition that I'm blocking somebody else's blessing. Because every time I've moved, somebody else has moved too. And that's what kingdom culture is about. That's where when people preach who are not Christian, community over competition, and they're actually living it out and they have an unlock and they're holding keys that belong to the kingdom. They belong to us. And there's an exchange that happens in the Bible where gold is actually given, money is actually transferred from those who are reigning in the evil natured spirit because they're doing the wrong things with that control. And it's handed back to the kings of the kingdom owners, to the layers of the Christians, of the people who are actually stewarding it right and well, fully and wholly. And I believe that is the revival we're about to see. I believe as we say, yes, as entrepreneurs, as ministers in the marketplace, there is going to be this massive transition and all of these other mountains that we talked about, the unlocks are going to happen and there's going to be more people ascending and standing on the mountaintop than there are now. 
here's a strategy though, right? Everything you said is, is spot on. It's this, it's this understanding that if I, you know, there's, I think about first of all, the discouragement and not being everything that God's called you to be. Imagine how discouraged he is as a father, Yeah. you know, watching all of this gold he placed in your life, just sort of remain harnessed and kept instead of given away. There's a story told actually in the old Testament where there was a group, I think it was the children of Reuben and Gad, they were so um, distracted and worn out from the journey. Um, the Bible says that when they made it to, to Jordan, which was the last river to cross before going over into the promised land, the land of wealth, the land of honey, right? Flowing with milk and honey. That's like residual wealth. They stayed in, and there's a story where Moses goes to them. And I'll never forget reading it because it, 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 it reminded me of every time somebody quits, whether it's network marketing, business, weight loss, goals. You know, when you're connected to a group and somebody just quits. Moses went to him and said, why would you discourage the heart of your brethren? Meaning you think this is about you, but the minute that you decide to settle down here, just shy of what's been divinely promised to you, you place in the heart of others a state of discouragement. So here's the strategy to all the things that you you were talking about and, and probably all of the things we've discussed today is that moving forward, it, it would it would be mindful for, for, for those of us occupying the space, especially of Christianity or the kingdom, to then say, Lord, I need more money. Lord, I, I, I need a bigger dream. Lord, I want you know more influence. I want more followers on my social media. Then you then you have to say to yourself, Lord, am I qualified for the thing that I'm praying for? Because I meet a lot of believers, right, that are praying for a promotion they're not qualified for. And the future is unkind to the unprepared. And so many of us don't receive anything because we're not prepared. Noah didn't wait for it to start raining before he started building that boat, sis. I mean, he was well prepared. He was building that thing to the point that he was mocked and ridiculed. He was such an innovator and ahead of his time. It had never rained. (laughs) His day thought, this guy's wacko, man. What in the world is this? who builds something to float on a substance we've never even seen. But that level of innovation is that level of preparation that I think we have to be mindful of. Am I prepared for the promotion I'm praying for? Am I prepared for the prosperity I'm praying for? You know, so many times we go, man, I want the anointing of Joseph, right? But you don't want to spend 13 years in prison like Joseph did to learn government and protocol and to learn all the things it took for him to be ready when it was his time to shine. Lord, I want to have the anointing of David. But you don't want to be by yourself on the backside of a desert with no highlight reel, no publicity. No one knew who he was. You know, I meet people modernly in modern times, right? They'd be like, Lord, have mercy. I wish I had the anointing of Dr. Martin Luther King. He could mobilize people and create a galvanized army of believers unlike anybody's business. I'm like, yeah, you want the anointing of Dr. Martin Luther King, but you don't want to have to be killed. You don't want to serve time in prison just because you were speaking about subject matter the world at that time didn't want to hear. In other words, it's easy to say, I want to be like Harriet Tubman and then I have to be running every day of your life. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that we have to be mindful of as we move forward, Tamara, is that as we pray and as we believe and create these vision boards and all the other things that we feel we have we have, we have a connection to, I mean, we're connected to an open heaven, right? But I mean, if you won't pay tithes on a hundred dollars, God ain't giving you a million dollars. Golly, this is such a good thing. It's that, 
Go ahead. I, I'm just it's saying, just so good. <laughs> over a couple of hundred bucks. Like, how yeah. in the world do you expect God to go, um, you don't give now. You think I'm going to give you a million dollars? Like, I mean, that'd be the equivalent of robbing the bank and then going back in the bank and asking them to bless you. It doesn't work that way. So we must be prepared for whatever it is that we desire in life or we're praying for in life so that when the moment comes, it won't pass us by. We'll be readily prepared because we've been diligently pursuing the right skills to be successful when it's our time. Heaven sake. Really, that goes literally right aligned with affirmations have to match your actions, right? Amen. We pray, we want, we get on our knees and need, and yet what is right around us, we're not stewarding to the place and purpose that we need to. And I think that can go back to even your family, right? Is Amen. you want this massive influence, you want all these followers, how are you treating your family? How, how are they sitting at your feet, listening and learning? Are you even teaching them? Right. Are you even listening to what they're teaching you? So it's this is full circle to every component of self, right? It's the identity of, of you the, with the father, that alignment issue, and then thinking of your circle of influence thereafter. What's happening in the secret place? Are you in the word? Or is your prayer life connected to Whoa. what you're actually action-oriented towards? And then every relationship thereafter, there's no influence, there's no movement, there's no massive ministry until everything around you and connected to you has that same forward momentum. Yeah. This is good. Brother, oh, yeah. woo, I could talk to you all day long. You guys, I told you that you were in for a treat. I hope you are still here listening to the end because I want you to know exactly how to get in touch with Kevin. Where, where can I get invested? I have your, your site links listed here. Where else are you hanging out that they can get this, this gold from? I think just, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not big on social media or anything else. I, I, I have people that are, but I've been kind of behind the scenes for a long time. But but KevinMullins.com, just my name the way it is. I mean, you can see there's digital downloads of my books there and probably my social media is there. And, uh, you know, that, that's probably the easiest place just to find out where I'm at. Amazing. Well, I cannot wait to link arms with you and actually hug your neck next time you're in town or vice versa. Y'all, he's in Florida. I got (laughs) it. Yes, I know. I know. It's going to be epic. Nashville is going to be crazy. And that is, uh, it feels like forever away, but I know it's going to blink, uh, be a blink of an eye. So if you haven't already gotten your tickets to Grow For God, go to growforgod.com and you will see both Kevin and I there because we, uh, we got to continue this conversation. Amen. Kevin, thanks again for being here, brother. It has been an honor. May God continue to bless you with seasons of uncommon favor. I tell you, I know good and well God hasn't done his best in your past. Sis. There's been some great stuff done in your past, but there's some things I think you're getting ready to be elevated into a new position of authority and a new anointing on you that's going to allow you not just to navigate new spaces, but to part ways and to create an absolute wave of activity that prepares others for so many of the things that they've got on their prayer list as well. You're going to be a catalyst to help make that happen. I know that to be sure. True. Thank you so much. A wave of activity. I'm holding tight to that one. Hey y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. 
Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts. And you can tag me and the guest, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you might even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together, and we appreciate the extra step taken. I would be so grateful if you even took the extra step. Come on, give me that extra sauce and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast listening app that is of your choice. I'm going to be featuring your thoughts, in fact, and it's going to be so fun in upcoming episodes. So you'll not only hear your name on the show, but maybe even your passion project or whatever big shout out you want me to make. So please, as a fellow writer, leave some words that I can attest to, and I can't wait to read what you have to say. Thanks again for being a loyal listener, and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting, and I say we because the Fit and Fake team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith Way. I found myself on a ledge three stories high at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend in my new podcast, Billy and the Goat. I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.